Do you know, Jesus uh, is not your typical dinner guest. Did you notice that in the passage? Uh, Normally when you're invited to someone's house for dinner, you don't begin by getting stuck into your host. You know, woe to you, woe to you. Uh, You know, normally you try to uh, to be as polite as you can. So if you go to someone's house for dinner, you know, you avoid the political conversations because you don't want to stir up an argument in someone else's house. That would be very awkward. Uh, Even if your host says things that make you cringe on the inside, what do you do? You just smile politely and change the conversation. I like what you've done with your kitchen. And your host says, what do you mean? I haven't done anything. That's what I like about it. It Looks nice and old. Uh, But see, you don't see Jesus doing that in this passage. Um, He's not driven by formality or by politeness. Uh, He's driven actually by compassion, compassion toward others. And in this case, his host has a terminal condition, a terminal condition that he's even spreading to others. And so Jesus, out of compassion, wants to do something about it. He doesn't just ignore it and say, oh, that's your problem. No, no, he wants to do something about it. And so Jesus is more like a doctor than a dinner guest. Uh, See, if you have a a terminal condition and you go to a doctor, the last thing you want is for your doctor to be just worried about being polite. You know, you don't want a doctor who's too scared to upset you. Because if you've got a terminal condition, then you need to hear it as it is. You need to have it laid out before you. Because it could be the difference between life and death. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's exposing a deadly spiritual sickness. Uh, And it's a condition that all of us are prone to. We're all prone to this condition. And if it goes untreated, it will lead to eternal death. And so we need to hear Jesus out. We need to hear him as he pronounces these woes. Uh, What we need to hear is Jesus, his diagnosis of the problem. We need to hear the symptoms, so we can see if we've got it, we need to hear the prognosis, you know, what will it lead to if it's left untreated? And we need to hear the cure. So let's look at those four things. First, the diagnosis, and it's in verses 37 to 41. Jesus uh, diagnoses the problem, but the diagnosis is actually sparked by um, the, the, some tension over Jesus not washing before the meal. Did you notice that? Uh, so it says that the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus didn't wash first. So what's the issue there? Did Jesus have a problem with hygiene? Is that what the Pharisee was worried about? Not at all. The Pharisee was not thinking about hygiene when he's worried about Jesus not washing. He's thinking about ritual cleanliness. See, the Pharisee's not thinking about germs, he's thinking about morals. Uh, In the Old Testament, there were special washings which um, God's law laid out that you'd have to undergo before you could approach God at the temple. Uh, So before you came for worship, you would have to ceremonially wash with water. And those ceremonial washings were an outward marker or a visual aid to show that to come before God, you needed to have a clean heart. You know, the washings themselves couldn't change your heart, but they pointed to the need 
to have a clean heart before you went to God. Now the Pharisees, they looked at that in the Bible and they thought, that's good, let's apply that to every part of life. And so they prescribed many, many more washings, a whole lot more than the Bible prescribed. And so they would have washings for every occasion, you know, like they're about to eat a meal, so they'd have a ceremonial washing. Now they come in from the shops, a ceremonial washing. And they did that with everything. In fact, they, they took all of God's law and did that same thing. They took some of the basic principles of the law and they then unpacked it and applied it to every part of life. So everything was categorised under these rigorous rules. There was a rule for everything. Everything was governed by their, their uh, laws and traditions. And uh, the way that they saw these rules these extra rules that they made up, they saw them as the fence around God's law. So in their minds, all of the extra rules would keep you within God's law. It was a fence to make sure that you stayed in, but, you know, in God's law, living within God's law. That's the way they saw it. And you see, that's what a Pharisee was all about. A Pharisee, the very name means the separate ones. The separate ones, they were the holy men of Israel, the ones who thought of, them, thought of themselves as set apart, you know, to be devoted to the Lord. And everyone in Israel admired their devotion. You now they looked at the way the Pharisee lived and thought, wow, there is someone who is devoted to the Lord. So they were highly respected. But the problem with all of these additional laws that they set in place, it meant that they inadvertently turned their religion into just a matter of externals. Just externals. See, life for them, it was just all about mastering the rules. And so they could look at their performance against these list of rules and they could assess how they were going. And then they could assess how everyone else was going as well, which is what's going on here in this passage where uh, the Pharisee, he notices that Jesus didn't wash. Yikes, Jesus hasn't kept the rule. And so in the Pharisee's mind, he's thinking, what's wrong with Jesus? Doesn't he care about honouring God? Doesn't he care about moral cleanliness? So he's shocked. He's horrified. Well, Jesus takes this opportunity to actually confront the Pharisee, to actually diagnose a very serious spiritual condition. Because the Pharisees, their whole approach uh, to religion, it didn't produce cleanliness before God at all. It actually produced the very opposite because it allowed them to look good externally, you know, to have this facade of holiness. But underneath, inside, in their hearts, it was left untouched. It was ugly on the inside. See, what they were outwardly with all of these rules was just a mask to cover up what they were inwardly. And so the problem Jesus is diagnosing here, it's the problem of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now you might have noticed uh, that when we read the passage, the word hypocrisy wasn't used. Um, but if you look in the very next verse in Luke, in Luke chapter 12 verse 1, you see that Jesus actually sums up the problem of the Pharisees, he says to his disciples, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
So that's the summary of everything Jesus is talking about. It's hypocrisy that he's diagnosing. And so in verse 39 here, you can see that the way Jesus diagnoses hypocrisy, he says it's like a cup. So imagine a cup that you get out of the dishwasher and your dishwasher's not working properly because, well, the outside looks nice and clean, but if you look inside, it's disgusting still. It's filthy. That's the picture. Uh, so verse 39, he says, um, Now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So outside is clean. The inside is filthy. And that's the heart of the problem. That's the issue with hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy, it's, it's only being concerned about what you look like on the outside. It doesn't care about inner godliness or inner holiness. Uh, the, the hypocrisy is where there, there is a difference between your, what you are in public and what you are in private. Okay? What, what you are on a Sunday morning and what you are on a Monday morning. If there's a difference, hypocrisy. Uh, this, the hypocrite is the one who is comfortable with secret sin so long as it doesn't come to light. Okay? So long as it can be kept hidden, they feel fine. And they think by pretending to be more holy than they are, well, then everything is okay. Hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. The thing with hypocrisy, though, it only works with other people. So, for example, um, you know, I can only see what you're like on the outside. I can't see your heart. can't see what's really going on. And so you could easily fool me. <laughs> you could pretend you're something that you're not. Uh, I could do the same for you. See, we can fool each other. But we can't fool God. And that's what Jesus points out in the next verse. Verse 40, he says, You... Foolish people. How about that for a, a dinner table conversation? You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? See what he's saying? For us, there's public and private, but for God, there is no such distinction because God sees everything. The, your public life, your private life, it's all on the table before God. And both matter to God. Okay, both matter. The heart probably more so. And so what we see here, if there is a gap between your public life and your private life, God sees that gap and he calls it hypocrisy. And this is something that we are all prone to. I'm prone to it. You are prone to it. We're all prone to it. And it's because of the, the natural way the human heart works is that we seek to prove our righteousness by what we do, by our behaviour. And that means we're prone to deal with our sin by hiding it. You know, trying to make out that we're better than we are rather than actually by dealing with it the way God has given us in the Gospel. But hypocrisy, it's, it's like it's the pancreatic cancer of the soul. It will kill you without you even realising it. So that's the diagnosis. Second though, Jesus goes on to unmask it by pointing out the symptoms. And so he does that with this series of woes. Woe to you. The six of them in the passage, the first three are directed at the Pharisees, and then one of the teachers of the law, who's also at this um, dinner party, 
he um, foolishly um, speaks up. <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to achieve, but um, he complains, hang on, Jesus, you're insulting us also. And so Jesus launches into three more woes on the teachers of the law um, who were just, they were the Bible scholars of the day. Okay, they weren't like, you know, when you go to the court, that lawyer, they were the Bible scholars, experts in God's law. But they were guilty of the same thing, hypocrisy. And so Jesus unmasks it by showing the symptoms. And so if we listen to the symptoms, then we can see, am I a hypocrite? So let's look at the symptoms. The first one, the first symptom of hypocrisy is when we allow our religious practices to become a substitute for a real relationship with God. Okay, I'll say that again. Hypocrisy is when we allow our religious practices to become a substitute for a real relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is addressing in this first woe in verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So here we have another example of the Pharisees adding more rules to God's law. You know, God's law did command a tithe, a tenth. You know, the, the Israelites were to bring a tenth of their income or of their produce uh, to, to support the work of the temple. And the Pharisees looked at that and, I thought, and they thought, well, if that's the way you, you become a godly person, then let's apply that to everything. Let's apply it not just to our income, uh, let's apply it to every little aspect of life, even right down to the garden herb. So imagine that, you're trying to make a sandwich and you're cutting up this, um, I don't know, whatever that green stuff is that you use, and, but you s- carefully put aside a tenth, that's to go to the temple. That's how they went about it, which is fine. You know, Jesus says you should have practiced that. That's, that's okay to do. But here's the Pharisee, they're so focused on the details, the little minor details of the law, meticulously following all of this stuff. And that all looks great on paper. Now, if you can show that you accounted for every little skerrick of, of everything you owned, meticulously accounting for it all, then what actually happens with that is you, you'll start to look at that and think, boy, if I'm that meticulous about giving, then I must be a really good person. But what's happened in the process? Looking at the details, forgotten the big picture, forgotten the things that actually matter to God. Justice and the love of God. See, these Pharisees, they actually didn't share God's heart for the needy. They didn't have a concern for justice. Now, what is justice? The parallel passage for this one in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 1 because Isaiah is dealing with the exact same problem. And in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, he points out that justice, God's concern for justice is what? It's to care for the vulnerable, to give to the needy, welcome the stranger, uh, relieve the suffering of others. That's what justice is. And if you're concerned about justice, then you need a heart that is radically generous because you can't go about it if you're stingy. If you're just accounting for every little detail, you're not going to do justice. Justice requires generosity. And that's something that the Pharisees didn't have because they only had the external 
goodness. They didn't have the internal. And so as a result, they had the practice, but they didn't have the heart. It meant that they could remain greedy and lovers of money on the inside. See, their hearts were changed. And so that's, that's the symptom of hypocrisy. When we allow our religious practices, whatever they are, to become a substitute for real relationship with God, where we get to know God, where we become like him, his character. That's the first symptom. Uh, the second symptom Jesus points out is when we live for the approval and recognition of others. Okay, when we are overly worried about what other people think of us. And you see that in verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Now we need to remember the Pharisees were highly respected in their society. The Jews looked at them with all of their dedication to the law and thought, look at that. What dedication. And see, so they would show that in the way they greeted the Pharisees. You know, here's a good seat for you. Lots of respect. And see, that respect, it captured the Pharisees' hearts. They loved that warm feeling you get when someone goes, wow, you are fantastic. That warm feeling, it captured their hearts and that became the motivation to work even harder, to be more diligent, because they loved the admiration. The problem with that, though, is that when you are overly concerned with what other people think of you, when that's your motivation to do the right thing, it only fuels this gap, remember, between public and private. Because you're, just, you're more worried about how you look in public, what other people think of you. You're not so concerned about what's going on behind closed doors. And not only that, it actually makes the whole thing entirely self-serving. Because what is the motivation for doing good? Admiration. Respect. I'm doing it for me, not for God. That's the second symptom that Jesus exposes. The third symptom, uh, the third symptom, it's in verse 44. It's probably more of an effect than a symptom, so my outline doesn't work perfectly. But uh, notice Jesus says, well, the, yeah, so this one, the effect, hypocrites corrupt others without even realising it. That's in verse 44. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. What's that picture getting across? Unmarked graves. Do you know, in the Old Testament, uh, there were a whole heap of uh, laws um, about uh, if you come into contact with a dead body or anything associated with a dead body. If you came into contact, that would make you ritually unclean. You couldn't go to the temple unless you were uh, washed and all that sort of thing and a, and a time frame. So that way the Jews made sure that every grave was marked because they didn't want someone to accidentally walk over a grave without realising and become unclean. So they made sure every grave was marked. An unmarked grave meant that people could become unclean without even realising it and Jesus is saying, that's what you Pharisees are like. You're making others unclean <clears throat> without even realising it. Now, if you're hanging on to secret sin, you know, living this double life, pretending to be a good person in public, that's infectious. That infects others without even realising it. Uh, and it really does because 
if that is going on in your life, then that, it does come out in your attitude. It comes out in your demeanour. You know, your emotions. It's all tied up. And that creates an atmosphere. It creates an atmosphere in your home, <clears throat> in your family. Uh, it creates an atmosphere in your church. Uh, that's why Jesus goes on in verse um, 1 of the next chapter. probably should have put it up. Uh, he says um, to the disciples, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. And that, that, that's a picture there. It's a helpful one because how does yeast work? When you put the yeast in the, the um, bread mix, it doesn't stay in its little own corner, minding its own business. It works through the whole thing. It, it affects the whole lot. And it makes you wonder that, you know that saying, the church is full of hypocrites. It makes you wonder, maybe it only takes one or two for the whole lot to, ha to become infected. See, there's no such thing as private sin. It always works its way out into the lives of others. <clears throat> so that's uh, another problem with hypocrisy. Uh, corrupts others without us even realising. The fourth symptom of hypocrisy here, uh, we're going to group it with the sixth one actually because they have a, a similar issue. And here it is, it's when we don't care about the spiritual health of others. Okay, you're a hypocrite when you don't care about the spiritual health of others. Uh, look at verse 46. You experts in the law, woe to you because you load down people with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Now here they are, piling on the rules, making people feel more and more condemned because they can't keep them all. They don't have the, the skill or the understanding of the law that the experts had. And so the experts knew all the little loops to get through, but the people didn't. They felt burdened. They felt condemned. And what did the experts do? Nothing to help them. Would not lift a finger. Uh, verse 53, a similar issue where Jesus accuses them of um, taking away the key to knowledge. Uh, you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered uh, the kingdom uh, you have, and you've hindered those who are entering. See, they actually don't care about others. They just care about themselves. Hey, I'm right. That's all that matters. Who cares about everyone else? Hypocrite. What about the heart of God? They don't have it. You know, somewhere in their mastering of the law, they actually lost sight of the very purpose of the law, which is to show us our need of God's grace. If we know the law, we will love grace. Grace is what frees us from the condemnation of the law. Grace is what empowers us to then keep the law. They didn't know grace, and so they just burdened others. Uh, the fifth symptom of hypocrisy, this is the last one, when we assume that God's word applies to someone else rather than us. And you see that in this section in verse 47 to um, 51. Here Jesus talks about, um, they, they decorate the tombs of the prophets, and uh, you know, it was a way of showing respect for the heroes of the Bible. But why were the prophets killed? The prophets were killed by people who didn't like being shown up. The prophets were killed by people who hated having their lives scrutinised and having their sin exposed. That's why they killed the prophets. They've got to silence that voice. 
And Jesus is saying, that attitude, it's in you experts of the law. So here you are honouring the prophets, but you're only giving lip service. You're not even listening to their message. Their message is repent. Don't put on a show. Get a new heart. And so here they were giving lip service to the heroes of the Bible, but they're not, a paying, they're not paying attention to their message. And that's, that's how hypocrisy works. Hypocrites like to think how God's word applies to someone else rather than me. What is God saying to me? That's what we need to be thinking. And so what Jesus uncovers here, it's actually terrifying. Because here you can have people who think that they are living for God and yet they don't know him. They don't know God's heart. They don't know God's character. They don't know his compassion or his grace. And I'm sure none of us here would associate ourselves with a Pharisee. <laughs> we wouldn't want to take on that title. Yeah, I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> of course not. Uh, it's become a bad word today. But let's not kid ourselves that our hearts are still prone to the very same thing, the hypocrisy. You know, whenever we, um, whenever we make our preferences the standard of holiness for everyone else, we're being hypocrites. Whenever we are comfortable with private sins, so long as no one knows about them, hypocrite. Whenever we pretend to be more holy than we are, hypocrite. Whenever we criticise other people and yet we do the same thing, hypocrite. See, in all of those situations, we can give in to hypocrisy. <clears throat> well, what's the prognosis? Okay, you go to the doctor, you want to know the prognosis. You want to know what will happen if you leave it untreated. Jesus lays it out by saying, woe. Woe to you. What does woe mean? Woe means you're under a curse. Woe means you're under God's judgment with the sense that it's almost too late. Woe to you. It's almost too late. I mean, the fact that Jesus comes along and exposes hypocrisy now, it means that you have a chance to turn from it before it is too late. Before we have that day when everything will be exposed, all of the secret sins, all laid out on the table on Judgment Day. On that day, if we do not repent, it will be too late. And so if there is hypocrisy in your life, you actually need to hear Jesus saying these words to you. Woe to you. You need to feel that woe. You need to feel that you are under God's curse because if you, until you feel that, you won't cry out for help to change. You'll just keep staying in the dark. You've got to feel woe to you. Help. I need to change. And that brings us to the last point, which is the cure. What is the cure of, um, to hypocrisy? <clears throat> well, uh, let's go back to verse 39. <clears throat> uh, verse 39, Jesus actually, he hinted at the cure right at the beginning. Because uh, in verse 39, he says, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And then in verse 41, he says, But now, as for what is inside you, um, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean. So notice what Jesus is doing here. He's contrasting outer cleanliness with being inwardly clean. 
So the cure for hypocrisy has to be inward cleansing. Okay, it can't just be outer cleaning, it can't just be more rules, that's not going to change it. There has to be an inner cleansing of the heart. Greed and wickedness, it can't be rubbed out by adding more rules. Okay, you're not going to go from being greedy to being generous with more sub-clauses in your rule book. That won't work. See, this is how religion works. Religion works outside in. You know, I, I keep the rules, I try to be a good person and hopefully that will make me into someone acceptable for, before God. That's religion outside in. It doesn't work. It only produces hypocrisy because it, it makes outer goodness but inside's left untouched. So it always leads to hypocrisy. Jesus brings a salvation that works inside out. Inside out. He, he doesn't come along like the experts in the law and lay down more rules without lifting a finger to help. No, Jesus comes along and he does it all. He does all the heavy lifting. You know, rather than demanding that we produce a righteousness of our own, which we could never do because of our sin, Jesus comes along, he lives the perfect life that we should have lived. He goes to the cross, pays for all of our sin, not just the public ones, but even the private ones, pays for it all at the cross. And that means he's done it all. He's done all the heavy lifting. And when you receive that by faith, when you rest in that, uh, then that actually produces a change on the inside. And that inner change then flows out into new behaviour. And so this is the way it works. If you know <clears throat> that you have a saviour who loves you so much that he would go to the cross and take your punishment on himself, if you know that he's done that for you, that creates in you a love for God. It creates in you a, a gratitude that changes your heart, gives you a new desire, a new heart. Okay, you know the love of God. And, and this is the thing. It's only the love of God that can drive out the love of sin. You've got to get the love of God into your heart. It comes through Jesus, through his work on the cross for you. And do you see it's the righteousness of Jesus that's the only way to end hypocrisy? Having Christ's record as your own, that's the end of hypocrisy because it means you no longer have to pretend. You no longer have to try to prove yourself. Why would you want to do that when you've already got the righteousness of Christ as your own? That when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' record. He sees you as beautiful in Christ. If you've got that, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. And that frees you up. It now frees you to be able to admit your sin. It frees you up to be able to admit your struggles, to even admit the times you've failed. The gospel gives you the courage uh, to even admit your secret sins that you struggle with. It gives you the courage to do a proper self-examination because you know that whatever you find in your heart, that's a sin that Jesus has paid for. His blood covers over all our sin. And that means I no longer have to pretend. don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I can admit 
that I am a sinner, that I struggle, that I need grace. In fact, this is what the key to knowledge is. Uh, Verse 52, let's get that one up again. Uh, Verse 52, um, Jesus says that the experts in the law took away the key to knowledge. What is the key to knowledge? It is the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. See, the Pharisee said, if you keep God's law well enough, then you will be saved. But the gospel is Jesus has done it all for you. Be saved by him and that will fill your heart with the love of God. And then if you've got that, you'll obey him, whether anyone's watching or not. And so that means that as believers, okay, what if, we, what if we already are in Christ? What if we're believers, but we still struggle with hypocrisy? What does that mean for us? It means that we've lost sight of the gospel, that we've forgotten who we are in Christ. That's what leads to hypocrisy. You know, we, we fall back on our own, depending on our works, starting to worry about, you know, am I doing enough? What does it, so-and-so think of me? That's relying on your works. Rely on Christ, his righteousness. Let him, his love, fill your heart. That will change you. See, so the answer, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the end of hypocrisy. Let's pray.